Wrong red button. Here we go. Booming. Sound like Spurgeon. Cool, guys. Morning, everyone. Um, so as Bates said, we're going to be preaching on dating this morning. And uh, it's the fifth installment of our relationship series, which has been uh, based in the book of Ephesians. And uh, it it's, forms part of part four of our Ephesians series, which has been running for some time now. And it's entitled, Walk This Way Into Healthy Relationships. So um, I wanted to kick us off on a bit of a lighter note. And uh, I've got some Christian pickup lines for some of the guys some of the guys in the room, just to step up your game a little bit, and if you've been struggling, maybe these will help you out. Um, the first one is, I was reading the book of Numbers the other day, but I couldn't find yours. <laughs> Second one is, I put the stud in Bible study. <laughs> Thirdly, hi, I'm Will. God's Will. <laughs> Number four, how would you like to join my purpose-driven life? And the, the last one, which is probably my favorite, is, is this the transfiguration? Because, girl, you're glowing. <laughs> All right, um, after I've kind of embarrassed everybody here, and especially Mandy, I'm going to welcome her up. She's going to just share some of our story with you. You've got this. Okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody. No, I said you don't. You must come here. Oh, <laughs> backing it up. Hold yeah, your yeah, hands. Yeah. <laughs> Are we allowed to hold hands? Or? <laughs> cool, guys. So I'm just going to share a little bit of Nathan Nye's, um dating um, story. Um, a little bit nervous, <laughs> so just bear with me. Um, cool. So Nathan and I met around the end of 2012. I was a few years into my studies. And Nathan was um, only finishing up um, a gap year um, with the church. That's our first ever photo together. <laughs> you get, you get sleeves. Young. When you get married, you have to wear sleeves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> um, Nathan was living in Strand at that time, going to um, Liberty, the New Gen evening service at that time. And I was here um, at One Hope back then, New Gen. Um, and Nathan came through to play um, drums on worship one Sunday, and my friend and I, we came in quite late, and the only chairs open um, were these front ones. So we pranced along in, and <laughs> I was then there in the open for um, Nathan to spot me. He's <laughs> going to tell you a little bit more about that later. And then um, after church, um, Nathan kind of saw um, a friend that we had in common. So he was like hanging around her the whole time, like thinking, I'm sure at some point she'll come to this friend um, to chat with, which I did. Um, but he still doesn't introduce himself to me. <laughs> Only like when we're like leaving, um, I eventually introduced myself to him. Um, anyways, after a couple of weeks, um, he got my number and literally, I'm um, literally from that day, he hasn't gone a day without messaging me. Um, <laughs> I used to think, oh gosh, what's, what's this guy doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I wasn't too interested at the beginning. Um, and Nathan's younger than me. And I thought, um, this, is, this is never going to work. And I knew the flack I would get from my brothers. Um, so I just straight up was like, boy, uh-uh. <laughs> this is not going to work. 
Anyways, um, Josh and Sandy, lots of you will know them. They're Nathan's parents. They were elders in the church at that time. And they invited a few of us over um, to dinner at their house. And Josh and Sandy were telling us about their love story. And then Sandy goes, yeah, I'm five years older than Josh. And I thought, he thinks it's okay. (laughs) Um, Anyways, I'm not too sure when the switch happened, but um, I started um, developing feelings for him. And it was New Year's at the time. And I messaged him to say, yeah, um, my New Year's resolution is to learn to surf, knowing he would gladly offer to teach me. So we started um, meeting up at Strand Beach um, and hanging out a lot more. And then for my birthday, he gave me a book. And for those of you who know Nathan, I'm pretty sure you can guess the author. (laughs) J-Pip, yes. (laughs) John Piper. Um, And he said, no, let's start reading this book together, going through it. So um, we met up almost weekly going through this book. Um, And it was actually such a really great time that month or couple of months um, getting to know each other. Uh, We were hanging out a lot at Strand Beach, um, although I still can't surf. (laughs) Not the teacher's fault. It's not the teacher's fault. (laughs) Um, And then April of that year, um, it was a Sunday evening and Nathan told me um, he wanted to come see me. I was studying at my flat and I said, sure. Um, and then I waited and I waited and I messaged him and I'm like, um, where are you? It was already like half past nine and I obviously know church is finished. And he was like, no, I'm on my way. So I was like, okay, I waited a bit more, but more. And eventually he says, no, um, I'm downstairs. So I go downstairs and he's there and he's white in the face, wearing a reflector vest and carrying a stick. And I was like, did you run here? <laughs> and he was like... Yeah, like it's 27 kilometers, okay? There was a bit of a dispute about the kilometers, but he's adamant it's 27 <laughs> from church to my place. Um, and so I wasn't really quite sure what to say. And eventually he picks up the courage to ask me out and he says, Mandy, you three Bs, beautiful inside, beautiful outside, and beautiful in Christ, will you be my girlfriend? So <laughs> I awkwardly look at him and I'm like, uh, thanks. Do you want some water? Show <laughs> <laughs> me. He just went and sat on the pavement. Um, and eventually I say to him, can, can I take you home? So anyways, we're in the car and I'm awkwardly trying to make small talk. Um, and this poor guy who's just run 27 kilometers is shattered. And then so eventually I say to him, why do you want to date? Um, and and not just continue to be intentional friends. Um, And his answer, which is gonna be quite key to things he's gonna be be speaking into today, um, he says, no, I want to date because dating's more romantic than just being intentional friends. And um, I can't really remember my answer, but I'm pretty sure I changed the subject again. And (laughs) anyway, so I drop him off, I'm still not giving him my answer. But before you feel too sorry for him, <laughs> I, with the drive home and some thinking, I then messaged him to say, sure, we can date. Um, but he had already fallen asleep by then, so he only saw the message Probably in the morning. Probably cried myself to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, our dating started off so well. Um, we had agreed to take things slowly. Um, he didn't even like hold my hand while we were taking walks on the beach. I was like, okay, this is slow. <laughs> um, I think we did another book together. We would pray uh, quite a bit together. But then around, I think it was around seven months, um, things started going pretty downhill for us. Um, We stopped having people around us to speak into our lives. 
um, and to hold us accountable. We were still very involved in church, um, even leading in youth, um, but we were doing things on our own, which was um, so dangerous. On the outside, we seemed like the perfect couple, loving Jesus, serving him, um, but we never ever um, went to people to ask for help or to confess that we were falling into the deep um, pits of sexual sin. And we were crossing boundaries that we never wanted to, and then those boundaries becoming the norm, um, and then crossing ones that really left us feeling um, hopeless and defeated. Um, and it was just such a vicious cycle that we were in that put a lot of strain on our relationship. Anyway, so we dated for two years, and then in December 2014, we got engaged um, with a plan to only get married January 2016, so engaged for a year still. But thankfully, uh, we started marriage prep that year with Ollie and Debs, um, you are amazing. And um, that's when things got so much better for us. Um, we committed to be properly being accountable to them. Um, and then we just had someone backing us, like um, on our side, encouraging us um, and there for us. And it still wasn't easy, but it was a whole lot better. Um, and the rest of our engagement we were able to do um, well. Um, we never actually slept together, but we crossed boundaries that um, we then carried into our marriage. Um, and there were consequences from our sin um, that we then had to run to God with um, and figure out in marriage together. Um, but God is so full of grace and love, um, and we're seven years into marriage now with two gorgeous girls in a stage um, of our intimacy that's in a good and healthy spot. And we're still learning and figuring it out because, let's be real, it can be complex. <laughs> So, um, but there's freedom, um, and in preparing for this, it was tough looking back on it all. Um, but yeah, God's good, and He's gracious and kind, and He got us through it. Um, but the hope um, that we have for today's message is that um, those of you who are dating or who, are, who might date in the future, that our story doesn't have to be yours, um, and that you can date well. Um, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Cool. Can I just pray for us? Father, we thank you for this morning. Father God, we thank you that you are intimately involved in every area of our lives. Father, we come and we want to submit a relationship which can be confusing, which can be so difficult and hard, uh, which can also be good. And we just want to pray that you'd come and speak to us this morning, Father God. I pray that you'd lift people up out of perhaps out of holes that they're in, Father God, like we were, and I pray that you'd also just give others a vision for what dating can be, um, a higher vision for what dating can be, and may your gospel come and empower them in order to live in that place, and may we as a community surround them and uh, lift them up and uh, keep them accountable, Father God, and to stir them onto more and to stir them towards you, Jesus. Amen. So, as we said, we're based in the book of Ephesians, and um, if you know the book of Ephesians, you would have known that uh, there's no, dating doesn't feature in the book of Ephesians, there's no Hebrew or Greek word for dating in the Bible at all, but um, contextually, as we look at key relationships in our culture, dating is one of the dominant ones, and is possibly one of the ones that we will all, uh, or some of us will experience, and as Mandy was saying for, for us and for my experience personally that the dating relationship was one of the hardest things that I had to 
go through, one of the most confusing and spiritually challenging relationships that we have to deal with. So we need God and we need His Word to come and help us as we live in that relationship. And as I've said, the Bible doesn't feature the word dating, or the dating relationship doesn't feature in the Bible, but the Bible does have a lot to say to dating, and we will see some clear connections as we look in Ephesians 5, and specifically at the marriage relationship, uh, some clear connections to dating, but we will also see the words of Paul in 2 Timothy 3 um, ring true, and it's the truth that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul is saying that the Bible has a lot to say about any circumstance in our lives, and that includes the dating relationship. So we're going to anchor ourselves in Ephesians 5 this morning, and then I'm going to just kind of pick on some uh, specific texts out of the book of Proverbs. And I want to just focus on three key questions or three key truths. I want to speak firstly about what is the purpose in dating? What is the purpose in dating? Secondly, what is the prize in dating? And thirdly, some helpful pathways towards dating. So the purpose, the prize, and the pathways. We want to try and build a foundation on the purpose of dating. What is this relationship really supposed to do? And then we want to show what the relationship should build towards. What is the prize that this relationship is seeking? And then hopefully give you some pathways towards that prize. And most of what I have to say this morning is, is grounded by a book by Marshall Segal called The Not Yet Married. And if you are single or you're dating or you're kind of going into that type of relationship, I really want to encourage you to read it. It's freely available online. And um, one of the things I love to do as I prepare to preach is actually just in prayer say, Father, what am, I, what am I really wanting out of this morning? If there's something that I'm wanting you to do this morning, what am I wanting you to do? And my prayer for this morning is that we would begin to see flourishing dating relationships which glorify God and set a solid foundation for a possible future marriage. Flourishing dating relationships. And my other prayer, as you would have heard our story, is that... Uh, Many of you in the room or those watching online wouldn't have to go through the same experience that we did, that hopefully as we kind of set off um, what, what we've gone through, and a lot of, as I was preparing for this, I was like, Father, why, why me? You know, like we failed miserably, and why would you then use us to speak here? And I'm trusting that God would then lead others not to have to make the same mistakes that we did. So firstly, what is the purpose in dating? I have two kind of key purposes here. The first one is that dating is for marriage. The goal of dating is marriage. And if we want to understand kind of how we should date, we need to understand what the Bible teaches about the function and the purpose of marriage. If dating is for marriage, which it is, our desire to date should be fueled by our understanding and our longing for the primary purpose of marriage. And I'm focusing on the primary thing because obviously marriage is about a lot of things, but I feel that this primary thing is the foundation upon which um, every other part of marriage sits. And the primary thing is this. Marriage is really about displaying the relationship between Christ and His church. Marriage is really about displaying the relationship between Christ and His church. And we're going to go back to Ephesians 5, and Paul and Kate and Stefan and Riley touched on um, the, the loving of the, of the husband, what the husband's called, and how they're called to love, and the submission of the wife. But I want to take us um, just to verse 32 to 33. 
And Paul, who's writing the book of Ephesians, he says this, this mystery is profound. So he's been talking about marriage, and then he flows into the mystery. So the mystery is marriage. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the covenant purposes of marriage are to display the covenant purposes of the love of God and His church. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying the marriage relationship is really an image bearer. It is to image uh, and to portray the relationship between Christ and the church. And this should be the mark and legacy of all Christian marriages. It's fascinating, as I was thinking about this, is that God chose the marriage relationship, one of these human relationships which would most clearly display His covenant love with His church. It's not a small thing. It's significant. It's a relationship that God chose to most clearly display His covenant love with the church. John Piper says, Most fundamentally, marriage is the doing of God. See that in Genesis 2. But most ultimately, marriage is the display of God. So now that we kind of better understand the purpose of marriage, we can better understand the function and the purpose of dating as it looks towards marriage. And we're going to unpack this a little bit later, but dating is primarily, uh, the purpose in dating is primarily around formulating clarity for marriage. A relationship which will hopefully end in a display of God's covenant love with His church. So firstly, dating is for marriage, and then secondly, dating is for more than marriage. We want to honor God with our dating as we have a view towards the future marriage relationship, and yet we also want to just glorify God as we do in any other thing that we live in. In the same way that we honor God in all of our lives, and the ultimate purpose of the rest of our lives should be the same purpose of dating. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the goal, the thing that, that the dating looks forward to is marriage, but the purpose in dating is ultimately the same purpose in the rest of our lives. It is the glory of God. It is worship to God. And uh, some of you here, and, um, or maybe it's a dynamic which you have had before, but if you're single and you've been wanting to get married for some time, you can um, tend to feel like it's this kind of idle thing that you're waiting for, this long-awaited promised land. But the fact is that worship is the end of all Christian dating because worship is the end of all Christian life. And that God actually didn't make us primarily to be married. He made us primarily to make much of himself. And if your dating ends in marriage, if your dating successfully ends in marriage and it does not end in worship, if it ends in marriage but it doesn't end in worship to God, it will be empty and unsatisfying. So we need to date for more than marriage. The purpose of dating is for marriage and for more than marriage. And what is the prize of dating? Like, ask yourself, if, if there's a prize to be found in the dating relationship, what do you think it would be? What are we trying to get out of it and what are we trying to find 
in it. And uh, I think most of us, if we're honest, and I know this is my kind of knee-jerk reaction and uh, answer to that question, is that we want a certain level of intimacy with someone. Like we want to be known by someone, we want to be loved by someone, and we want to feel that kind of love. And as Mandy shared some of our story, I think when I was reflecting upon this, this is one of the telltale signs of where my pursuit was, was when I asked, the moment that I asked Mandy out. And if you know um, Steph Kramer, who led Nugent Stellenbosch, he has this, for some reason he remembers me at Liberty, like smashing both my fists on the ground before I left to run to ask Mandy out, but I don't know how true that is. Um, but I remember as I was running, I think I also SMSed him and told him, hey, Brew, this is what I'm going to do. And he was like, yo, it's going to be a long run home if she says no. Um, <laughs> so it was, there was a lot of support there. Um, but uh, as I got there, you know, I thought like, wow, this is going to be an amazing moment. She's going to be stunned by this like declaration of love and just be like, I'd love to date you. Um, but she wasn't. And um, I think just as she touched on the idea of, of what my response was, it's like, why don't we just stay like being intentionally friends in a way? And why don't we? And um, I think basically I said it's boring. You know, it seems boring. And I think dating would be more romantic. And uh, as she said, you know, moments passed and there wasn't a yes yet. And she drove me home. And, um, you know, eventually uh, she did message me to say yes, and then we were Facebook official. You know, back in the day, it was like, if it's on Facebook, it's legit. Um, so we had to get Facebook official. Um, but it's interesting because I think most of the time when, when, when people hear that story, they're like, wow, that's, you know, what a declaration of love. And when I was preparing for this, I thought to myself, wow, you know, it's actually just hopelessly misplaced. It's like good effort, but it's hopelessly misplaced. The thing you're pursuing there and the message that you're carrying was not for that relationship. It's actually for another. And I see as I reflect on some of those moments how clearly and actually more than I would like to admit where my pursuit was. That I was pursuing intimacy. That was really the thing that I wanted. I wanted intimacy. And with the right heart and the right measure and the right time, these are good desires, and God has made many of us to want these desires. But our dating relationships were never created to uh, fulfill those. The primary pursuit, the prize that we should be looking for in dating is not intimacy, but it is in fact clarity. So one of the, the main things I want to leave with you with us this morning, and it comes straight from Marshall Seagal's book, is, is postpone intimacy and pursue clarity. Postpone intimacy, pursue clarity. The great prize of dating is clarity. It is not intimacy. We had a work function the other day, um, and there was a flyer on the table, and it was this, you could enter this competition at Aunt Class, and if you won, you would get 300 Rand off your next tattoo. 300 rand of your next, I was like, okay, do you need one tattoo to qualify to win the prize? Or like, how does this work? Um, but when I was thinking about this, I was like, this is a great tattoo to give your girlfriend. You know, like right on her head. <laughs> just like postpone intimacy. Like you're going in to kiss her and then you see this postpone intimacy. Like, okay, flip. I remember now. So postpone, hopefully that'll be stuck in your brain, whether you like it or not. But postpone intimacy. So intimacy is a beautiful and precious gift. 
God has created us to want to be intimate, and there are relationships, the marriage relationship, which is created to fulfill that. So we wired to want intimacy, but we also, because of the sinful nature, we wired to corrupt intimacy and to hurt each other and to uh, do what feels good instead of caring for another person. To promise too much too soon instead of being patient. Marshall Seagal says, intimacy makes us vulnerable and sin makes us dangerous. The two together without the covenant promises can be a formula for disaster in dating. In the marriage relationship, the great prize in marriage is intimacy. And the reason that prize is in marriage is because it has the covenant uh, it has the covenant promises around it to protect it. That that level of intimacy is never safe outside of the covenant love of marriage. Andy Stanley says, fire in the fireplace is a wonderful thing. Fire on the carpet has the potential to burn your house down. Sex, which is the ultimate expression of intimacy, is like a fire. In the right context, it is an awesome thing. But once it is outside the context it was designed for, sex can burn your life and relationships to the ground. There are a lot of contexts in which romantic intimacy feels good and right. And we've experienced that. You think it feels good and right, but it never is. It is never safe outside the covenant of marriage. So dating's great prize is clarity. Safeguard your future marriage by pursuing intimacy and postponing, by pursuing clarity, sorry, and postponing intimacy. And I want us just to understand that we don't, we don't pursue clarity by trying out intimacy. I think that's many, you know, the dating relationships often look like that. Like, let me try marriage on for size without the kind of all the different commitments that need to be in place. And I just want to try the intimacy level out of marriage and then I'll see if it's a good fit. But that is not the case. And I think this was much of my frustration in our dating relationship. I kept coming to God and saying, Father, like, Help me honor you in this thing. It's so hard. How do I do this well? How do I honor you in this? And as I was reflecting on this, I kind of felt him say, well, actually you don't because you're pursuing the wrong thing. You're asking me, you know, how do I honor you as I pursue that? But you shouldn't be pursuing that. That pursuit is for the marriage relationship. You should be pursuing clarity. Marshall Seagal says, careful, prayerful, thoughtful clarity will produce healthy, lasting, passionate intimacy. Any other road to intimacy will sabotage it, leave it shallow, fragile, and unreliable. So pursue clarity and postpone intimacy. I want to flag a few questions for us which come straight from his book, um, which help us kind of, it's almost a bit of a litmus test of our hearts and where our hearts are on this issue. And I'm sure you'll see that you have, like me, asked many of these questions. So here are some intimacy questions which we often ask in the dating relationship. How far can we go? How late should we hang out? What kind of touching is allowed? How much alone time can we have? Can you see these questions are all gunning for intimacy? Like that's the focus, it's intimacy. Some clarity questions. Does he love Jesus more than he loves me? Does she follow through on her promises? Do I see him showing self-control or compromising to get what he wants? Is she willing, willing to lovingly tell me when I'm wrong? One of the other ones I wanted to add in here is just an understanding of the gospel. Do we see repentance and forgiveness evident in 
their lives. Clarity questions. Those types of questions formulate a strong basis for a marriage or a possible marriage in the future. So as we understand the goal and purpose of dating, we can better discern God-honoring choices in the everyday life of dating. And I trust that some of these questions will help us, uh, those of us who will be dating at some stage, just evaluate where is our pursuit lying? What is the direction that we're actually thinking that we should be going? So the purpose of dating, the prize of dating, and I want to just take us through um, three uh, hopefully helpful pathways toward clarity. If the great prize of dating is clarity, how do we get there? How do we find it? And I think if we look at the culture around us, the dominant guide in a dating relationship, or actually any relationship, really is feeling. It's like if it feels right, it must be right. You know, like your feelings kind of govern everything, except that God is actually coming and saying through his word that we need to hold our feelings in balance that our feelings are important and we don't just disregard them, but we also don't kind of wholly trust them. We need more than feelings to make us wise. So I want to take a moment just to put forward three key pathways to clarity. And much of the biblical wisdom here comes from the book of Proverbs. So the first one is depth of desire. Depth of desire. God created us with desires and feelings and these are good things. And as we seek to be married or find someone we want to marry, our desire should be a good guide. Proverbs 18.21 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 31.10, An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. So a desire for a spouse is a good thing and it's something actually God created and it is something that he delights in. And God has made most of us to want to be married. But I do want to say that you don't need to be married to follow Jesus. You don't need to be married to reach some kind of spiritual maturity. You know, kind of a lot of church culture, that's kind of what you feel. Like you need to be married to reach the spiritual maturity. Or you need to be married to reach some level of the favor of God. And uh, I want to just take a small moment to say that most, or some of the most influential people in biblical history were single people. Paul himself, who's writing this book to the Ephesians, was single. And Riley will be speaking more to this next week, is that singleness can be a great gift to the church. So we have a deep desire. A deep desire should be a guide or a pathway towards clarity. But where should this desire be focused? Should it be focused on physical attraction to one another? Should it be like vibes? you know, between the two of you? Should it be the gel in the relationship where you finish each other's sandwiches? <laughs> Shout out to Frozen. Anyone's watched Frozen? That's a, um, these are important aspects, but I want to just say that the primary focus of this desire, what the desire should be, is to find someone that you can enjoy and live for Christ. The primary desire thing we're looking for is we're looking for God in one another and we're looking for God in our future together. We're looking for a desire which honors God. And when I first saw Mandy, um, as she said, I was playing drums, I was sitting on a drum stool, but um, she came in with high heels and this shirt and might have been a feather earring, one feather earring. Um, And her beauty was just amazing and I I don't want to distract myself 
Um, but she came in slightly late, and as, as I saw her, I, I remember praying, distinctly remember praying, Father, may I marry a woman like that one day? And um, we were, I was in a band, it was quite famous, I won't go down there, but um, anyways, we, there, was, there was worship after the, the preach, and I said to myself, if she stays for that, then like, you know, then she really loves Jesus, so like, this must be the one, and she did stay for the, the round two of worship, and I saw the love in her heart for God, and it, cre- it, it, it grew this desire inside of me for her. So firstly, depth of desire, and I just want to, it's a simple one, but I just want to leave us with one question as you evaluate your own desires towards someone. Are you convinced that your desire here honors God? Simple but profound question. Are you convinced your desire for this person honors God? So firstly, depth of desire. Secondly, conviction of community. So you can see I'm kind of reaching for some alliteration, but I hope it helps us remember it. Depth of desire, conviction of community. We need the community around us to lead us, to protect, care for us, guide, and correct us as we find clarity in dating. Um, Marshall Zagal, in his book, he has a chapter entitled The Third Wheel That We All Need. And as I was thinking about that, it's like so often we're like, flip, can this oak just leave? Like, I really don't need this third wheel with me. Like, I'm trying to do something here. Um, But I really felt like a third wheel, in fact, is a great gift from God. And uh, I want to be so bold in saying is that if you don't have a third wheel in your relationship, then you actually shouldn't get, de- get, get married. If there isn't some real level of accountability with somebody, uh, then don't date. Um, sorry, I said get married, but don't actually go to the level of, of, of dating. And I, I want to say it's not a false sense of a third wheel. You know, some people, you know, you have a car and you have this biscuit wheel in your boots, and um, it's just for emergencies. You can't even go over 60 k's an hour. Um, and that's not what I'm talking about. And that's actually much of what our relationship was. It was this false sense of authenticity. Like I felt like I had, I was, I was kind of in a way paying lip service. You know, like I am, you know, I'm talking to somebody and like they're helping us. But actually I wasn't truly open with what was going on and then robbed those individuals from the input they needed to put into our relationship and the input that I desperately needed. And as Mandy said, there was actually moments of sheer desperation when we were engaged that we reached out to Ollie and Debs and began a real road of actually having a sense of accountability, a real road of actually opening our relationship to people around them, around us. And much of the fruit of our relationship today has its roots in men and women like Ollie and Debs and uh, Stefan Kath and just the roles that they've played in our lives. And when I was thinking about this third wheel idea, I was thinking, no, it's not a biscuit wheel, it's almost like a tricycle. And if you can think around a tricycle, and it's kind of, the, actually it's the front wheel in the tricycle. Controls the speed, controls the direction, brings stability. So clarity of community has many layers. There's the role of the local church, there's the role that hopefully your parents can play, and then there's the role of close friends. And uh, these are all helpful guides in keeping us on track. And a Proverbs is, is uh, full of wisdom here. In Proverbs 11:14, it says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 12:15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 18:1, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. 
He breaks out against all sound judgment. There is wisdom in the counsel of many, and the writer of the book of Proverbs is saying, we all need a third wheel. But who should this third wheel be? Marshall Segal says it should be somebody who knows us best, loves us the most, and is willing to tell us when we're wrong. Knows us best, loves us most, and is willing to tell us when we're wrong. As we seek clarity, the temptation of the culture around us is to say, just follow your desires. You know, follow what feels good. But the Bible is telling us that we need truth as well. We need others around us to steer us towards truth. So seek the conviction of your community. And then lastly, orchestrated opportunity. Orchestrated opportunity. So we see in the depth of desire, your heart begins to speak as you have a desire towards somebody. Conviction of community, the community around you begins to speak into your relationship and into your life. And orchestrated opportunity, we see this is the dominant way, perhaps the dominant way where God speaks into our lives. And the reality is that God is actually speaking in all three of these things, but he often speaks very clearly through the last one. And what I mean is the providential rule of God over our lives. The way that God sovereignly orchestrates every aspect in our lives. And, and it looks like in a relationship, you know, things line up, timelines li- time line up, or they don't. Feelings line up, or they don't. And it's interesting, as, as I was thinking about this, is that sometimes God gives us the clarity in our relationship that we need by simply doing something outside of our control. He's sovereignly speaking through something, doing something outside of our control. And this should actually bring us hope. You know, those of us in the room who maybe have had a breakup in a relationship is that sometimes a breakup is not a failure, but it's actually God steering you in a different direction. It's, um, it's God working at something better. And I'll never forget, I had a coffee with Steph and um, when we, I think we, were, we might have been dating or yeah, I think we were dating. And um, he was asking me questions like, you know, does this line up? Or do you know what she's going to do after she's studying? She's going to go overseas or she's going to stay here? Uh, do you know if she's going to go back to Natal? Her parents stay in Natal. She's going to go back there. And uh, I remember sitting there thinking, like, flip, like, why does that matter? Like, we love each other, you know? Surely, like, we love each other. Surely that's enough. And um, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking that actually, you know, love in and of itself is not enough. Unlike what the culture around us tries to tell us, love in and of itself is not enough. The love we have for one another needs to submit to the will of God for our lives. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Or Proverbs 16.9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. And I just want to encourage us that if God withholds something from us, it's never because he's wanting to harm us. Romans 8 28 says that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Or Psalm 84:11 says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And it's almost this idea that if God uh, um, withholds something in our eyes good for us, it's actually because he's planned something better for us. And I want to encourage us that just because, well, we can't assume that just because there's a good desire, you know, depth of desire, the first level of clarity, or even that there's community around us who have brings, brought some truth to us, even if those two levels are in place, it still doesn't mean that this thing might be good for us. We need to trust 
in the all-knowing and unfailing love of God for us, that he knows what is truly good. And there may be moments where he shows us by doing something outside of our control. So I want to close just by going back to Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 5 a little bit higher. I want to focus on Ephesians 5, 27, but we're going to read from verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So as we look at the dating relationship, the dating relationship should look forward to a future earthly marriage, and yet at the same time, it should look forward to a future marriage like all other believers we look forward to the true marriage and the real wedding. This is what Paul is talking about here, the one day when the church will be truly united with Jesus the groom. And the moment when kind of earthly marriage and the images that earthly marriage was, was supposed to portray will be fully realized. And when we as the bride will see Jesus waiting at the end of the hour waiting to welcome us into a love relationship which is beyond anything we could ever imagine. We're waiting for the day when the last kind of wedding is finished, the last walk down the aisle, the last wedding cake has been cut, the last first dance, the day when the church will be finally united to God the Father and to Jesus. And in Revelation 19.7, we see this declaration of what we will sing. It says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. So if you this morning have kind of, you're not in a dating relationship, so maybe you zoned out a little bit, I want to encourage you to zone in here. This is, this is the expectation for all who believe in Jesus. We will rejoice one day in the marriage supper of the Lamb, as we, the church, the bride, will be united to the groom, Jesus. And we will stand as a bride adorned for a wedding, adorned with a white garment that we never earned, but a garment which Jesus paid for by his very blood. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, when he presents her to himself, this is Jesus presenting us, the bride, to himself, with all the principalities and powers and the serried ranks, for all the potentates of heaven look on at this marvelous thing and scrutinize and examining her, there will not be a single blemish. There will not be a spot upon her. The most careful examination will not be able to detect the slightest speck of unworthiness or of sin. So in this moment, we will stare at Jesus the groom without shame, guilt, no sadness in our heart, no fear. And we will experience for the first time a type of happiness that we've never experienced before. We will stand pure, not with a purity of our own, but with a purity which was bought with a price. We will stand loved, not because we deserve love, but because God chose to set his love upon us. 
So we all look forward to a day where we will one day be married. And that marriage, I want to just lift our eyes up to that marriage. That marriage has everything to do with how we live today, how we date today, and how we marry today.